Um, but speaking about grace today, that, that's going to be the topic of our conversation today. And we're going to spend some time today talking about God's community of grace. Okay? Now, it's, this is going to be a conversation we're going to develop. So be patient with me as I walk you through this um, in our time together. And so as we talk about God's community of grace, I think one of the most important things that we have to begin with in this conversation is what is grace? Before we can even go into that, now, grace is probably, in my opinion, um, buried and muddled, if you will, under the nuances and under these misunderstandings of, uh, I guess, the theological um, circles, if you will, right? Now, in my opinion, grace is probably one of the most overused and abused words in the world. But I would ask you, if I asked you, or if I had you paint a word picture, and let's do that together, let's do this mental exercise together. Um, if you say the word grace, what's the word picture in your mind? Paint that word picture for me, grace. Just think about it for a second. Okay, everybody's got it. Lock in that picture. Now, I'm not going to poll the audience, but I can guarantee you that almost everyone in the room has a very different picture of grace in your mind. Now, most of your pictures are probably right. Why is that? Because grace is so nuanced. Grace is so broad, and it's so colorful, it's so textured, that we all have an image of grace. Some of you, when you said grace, you probably thought of the cross. Some of you, when you said grace, you probably thought of maybe service, or being a servant, right? You thought of these ideas, these concepts, and all of those are correct. There's nothing wrong with that image that you have painted. That's the theological position of grace, but there's so much more to those ideas and those theological positions that you guys have about grace in your mind. But grace is something that we experience. Think about the word picture that you just painted in your mind. It is probably something that you have to experience. Maybe you thought of service or being a servant. It's experienced. Maybe you thought of Christ on the cross. It is experienced. Grace is a lived experience. You know, I, I read a book recently that I thought was phenomenal, and it was all about the kingdom and grace as it relates to the kingdom. And I, I'll read to you, and, and this is really, if you will, kind of this, the, the thesis, if you will, behind our message today. And so if you don't remember anything, I want you to remember this, and you can write this down if, you, if you're in the habit of taking notes. But the process of experiencing grace with God, that's the key, experiencing grace with God and others, and this is kind of what we're going to talk about today, again, the, the community of grace, validates who we are, number one. It matures us into who we are becoming, number two, and it defines how we should live. I'll give that to you again. Because that is important. Grace, experiencing grace with God and with others, 
validates who we are, it helps mature us into who we're becoming, and lastly, it helps guide how we should live. So let's talk about grace. What is grace? You see it on the slide behind me. So when we're talking about grace, and I want to make sure we're clear, because there are really two kinds of grace that the Scripture vets out for us. See, the first is what we call a common, a general, a universal grace. Now, what does that mean? Now, I want you to think about this. Jesus himself actually talked about this in his Sermon on the Mount. And you may actually graze past this when you read it in Matthew 5, verse 45. Now, in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is talking about loving your neighbors, or I'm sorry, yeah, loving your enemies, and praying for them, loving and praying for those who persecute you. Why? He says, so that you may be known to be a son of God. Now, listen how he describes the Father, because this is relevant, right? He describes what I'm about to share with you in the context of loving people the way God does, right? This is the common grace. Jesus says that we should be like the Father, the one who causes the Son to rise and fall on the good and evil, to allow the rain to come on the righteous and the unrighteous. This is common grace. This is this universal grace that everyone in the world experiences and what the Bible says, that every man shall be without excuse. Think about it. The sun came up and set on the evilest of the evil in the world this morning. You woke up and took breath, everyone who took breath this morning. Everything good, the scripture says, is of God. So everything good that we experience, even the most common and mundane things, is a gift, is an act of common grace that everyone experiences. Now, let's talk about And this is really the idea of grace that we're going to run with today. Then there's a special grace. This is a grace that is reserved, bestowed upon a select group of people who will pledge their faith, their love, their life, and allegiance to he who was crucified and he who is risen, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Come on, you got to talk to me this morning. I want to make sure you guys are up. So this is a special grace, guys, that what does it do? This life-saving, regenerating grace only bestowed on a select few is a special grace that brings us this wholehearted adoption into God's family. It gives us a new identity. It gives us a new life. It gives us new power, new capacity, and it gives us God's full protection. I don't know about you, but I prefer the special over the common. Amen? Amen. And so we're going to wrestle with a little bit and talk about the special grace of God today. Now let's read a few passages about grace today. And it's really two passages. We're going to cover, we're going to touch on quite a few scriptures today. Um, But I want to read to you kind of as our starting point, our launching pad, if you will, uh, two passages in particular. This is God's grace in scripture. 
as written both, um, penned both by the Apostle Paul. Um, one, now I'm reading both from the Amplified uh, Bible. Now, I like the Amplified version, and you notice that some of the, uh, the passages, parts of the passages in parentheses, are added for emphasis in the Amplified Bible. And so that's why I thought I would bring this up. So let's read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, and then we'll read Romans 5, 20 and 21. Let me pray real quick before we do. Father, thank you, Lord, for giving us your word so that we can see the fullness of who you are that we can grow and be edified and strengthened in your word. Let it be edifying to us, Lord. Just bless us with your word today, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians 2, 8 through 8 and 9 from the Amplified says, For it is by grace, God's remarkable compassion and favor drawing you to Christ, that you have been saved, actually delivered from judgment, and given eternal life through faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves, not through your own efforts, but it is the undeserved, gracious gift of God. Not a res result of your works, nor your attempts to keep the law, so that no one will be able to boast or take credit in any way for his salvation. Romans 5, 20 and 21, again from the Amplified, says, But the law came to increase and expand the awareness of the trespasses by defining and unmasking sin. But where sin increased, God's remarkable, gracious gift of grace, his unmerited favor, has surpassed it and increased all the more. So that in so that as sin reigned in death, so also grace would reign through righteousness, which brings eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a lot to unpack here in these passages. What I want you to focus on in this text is you'll notice that both of them refer to this idea either inferred or directly of a gracious gift. And what does Paul assign this gracious gift to? That the gracious gift is itself grace itself. And so as we talk about grace and how Paul defines this unmerited gift, let's, let's just put a pin in that. Grace is an unmerited gift. Amen. One we don't deserve, one we are not worthy of, but grace is an unmerited gift gift from God bestowed upon us in his mercy. Amen? So how do we embrace it? How do we embrace grace? Now, let me interchange a word. When you're embracing something, what are you doing? You're receiving it, right? So you can interchange embrace with receive if you like, but how do we embrace it? Now, that might seem like a really, really basic thought and a really basic idea, but I can guarantee you, and we're going to touch on it here in a bit, but I can guarantee you some of you have not embraced the gift of grace in your life in the way that maybe you should. And I want to challenge you today with that. 
Now, I'm not talking about half-heartedly accepting it, and I'm, you're going to see in a moment what I mean by your half-hearted acceptance of God's grace, but I mean, how do we fully embrace and walk into this grace of God? Now, I know we're slow walking this a little bit, and right now we're, we haven't quite touched on the community, but stay with me, I promise you. We'll get to the community, but I need to wrestle with you just for a moment first. So how do we individually embrace the grace of God? And there's a, I wouldn't call this linear, but there's a few things that we have to do to embrace. It requires us as we embrace his grace to first recognize that we need grace. Okay? We have to see and recognize fully how depraved we really are, how lost and wretched we truly, truly are, how bad our sin really, really is, and that we are in need of God's grace. And so as the passage that we just read earlier, if grace is a gift, and grace, as the passage says, brings us salvation, then by default, the Bible says that God gave his only begotten son to the world so that the world may be saved through him. And so if grace is a gift that brings salvation, then grace is manifested in the God-man in Jesus. And so what we're really saying here today is that we must recognize our need for Jesus. Amen? When we say we need to recognize our need for grace, it means we need to recognize our need for the one who brought grace into the world. Amen? Because we are so lost. Now listen, this is what I was telling you earlier. Some of you have not yet fully, you've, you've, you've not really gotten there. And again, it's, this is not a criticism, but it is an evidence of your life and what you're going through. And many of us have not fully recognized our need. Now, I would say that most of us in the room here today have probably acknowledged Jesus Christ to be their personal Lord and Savior. Right, so you've recognized your need, but again, we're talking about actually receiving it. Recognition and receiving are two different things. Amen? If you recognize something, that's fine. I see it. I acknowledge it. But that just means it's there. It doesn't mean that it's here. Are you all following me? I recognize it. It's there. But receiving it means it's here. Receiving it means I've grabbed a hold of it. I'm embracing it. It's mine. I have received it. So many of you recognize it. But the next step is I haven't yet received it. And so we feel like, this is what we do. We recognize it, it's there. We haven't received it, which means it's here. And so here's what we do. We say, you know, I think when I, not until I, let me do, do right? There's always a reason why I can't fully embrace you, Lord. Like, I know what you did for my life. I know that you died on the cross for me. But, Lord, let, let me do this. Let me get better first, Lord. And, and then I, let me... And what happens is, guys, 
We live in this, this life where we have settled into this routine, a life that is desperately and incessantly trying to prove that we are deserving and worthy of him and that we have to be that. We have to prove our worth in order to fully receive him. And that's not what Jesus said. That's not what he did. It's not what he said. The, the Bible says that while we were still his enemies— that means while you were still ugly and dirty and in your rags and, and, and just, just as pretty as a, as a dirty penny in a gutter, that he loved you. And he didn't ask you to get shined up and get pretty and polished. He didn't ask you for that, did he? No. He says, I, I want you the way you are. You don't have to prove yourself to me. You'll never be worthy of me. And that's why it's a gift. Amen? This is why I've given it to you. And listen, because we're stuck in that praise, and I don't, I don't know if I saw my brother Brian here this morning. Uh, Brian gave a great sermon last week. And you know what Brian said? And I, I took notes when, um, during Brian's sermon. And Brian talked about, he closed and ended with this, and he was talking about being in this, stuck in this rut. He talked about feeling dry and worn out and empty. And you know why you're in that place? Because you've, you've recognized your need for Christ, but you haven't received him. You haven't fully received him. And so what's next, right? So now if, if we've recognized and we received, the next step is you can't just stop there. You have to now begin to live out the freedom that has been given to you, okay? Because if you're just recognizing and receiving and that's it, well, listen, guys, I'm sorry, you're no better than the wicked in the world. Because the reality of it is you have given, you have been given such an amazing grace that, and, and, and gift that God has given you through your salvation. Why would you be so selfish that you would not live the freedom that you have been given? And I mean really live it out. And we'll talk about living that out and what that means a little bit. But see, when Christ comes, the scripture says that if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Amen? It's not halfway. God's freedom and deliverance isn't half-cocked. It's not done halfway. It is full. It is final. It is done. And so what we have to do is begin to step into the freedom that God has given us and begin to live like the shackles have been released. But you know what you guys are doing? Some of you, you're, you're receiving and you're recognizing and receiving them and you're still walking like this. Like you're in chains. Think about this for a moment. Could you imagine if Peter, in Acts chapter 12, was freed from the prison and stayed there? Okay, maybe some of y'all don't know the passage, so let me give you the background. In the passage of Acts chapter 12, Peter is thrown into jail for his faith and belief in Jesus Christ. And what the passage says in Acts chapter 12 is that Peter was in prison. Now listen to how tight this was. Peter was in prison. He was sleeping in his prison cell between two guards bound in chains. And there was another guard outside his door. Ain't nobody getting out of that. I mean, that's bondage on top of bondage. 
all right, sleeping between two guards, bound in chains, and there's a guard outside at the door. The Bible says that the Spirit of God came and set him free. Matter of fact, he said, get up. Almost like, get up. And that's what the Spirit needs to do to some of you guys. He needs to give you a good kick and say, get up. And come out of those chains. Come out of that prison cell. But no, what we do is, we don't want to live in that freedom. Think about how silly that sounds. And, and I give you that scripture because I want to paint that picture in your mind. That the Spirit of God releases the chains, wakes him up, delivers him through the gate, past the guard, and out the door. Can you imagine if all that happened and he said, no, nah, I'm good. I'm all right. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I'm good right here. But you know what? That's what some of you are doing right now. God opens the gate. He frees you. He opens the door of your bondage. And he says, come on out. And this is you guys. I'm good. I, I, I'm okay. The door is wide open. And you guys are like, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm going to stay here in the prison of my addiction, in the prison of my sin, in the prison of my shame, in the prison of my anxiety. Lord, you've opened the door, but I'm going to stay right here. Come on, y'all. We got to step out and live in the freedom that God has given us. This is how we begin to embrace. Now, there's something that happens, interestingly, in the same passage of Acts 12. Peter is freed, and what is the next thing Peter does? He goes and seeks out his community. Okay, now, in context, it's because Peter was a fugitive. Okay, in context, Peter was a fugitive. Okay, just broke out of jail. Peter's looking for his peoples because he got to go into hiding, but the idea is kind of the same. Listen, nobody gets freed and goes into isolation. You get freed, you get delivered, and there is celebration. Okay? Nobody does freedom alone. I don't know too many people who have been incarcerated. I have a few family members that have been in and out of prison. Every time they got out, we threw a party. Right? Welcome home. Nobody does freedom in isolation. We do freedom in community, beloved. And this is the point. God has freed us not to be in isolation as some of you have grown in the custom of doing. God has given us freedom so we can join the community of people who have also been delivered. Amen? Amen. Not for us to stay by ourselves, to ourselves, not telling anyone about the goodness of the deliverance that we have just received. But no, we should go running into the community, not just the community of saints, but go running out into the community of the lost because they need to know about the freedom that only Jesus can bring. But let's continue. Now, as we make this transition, now talking about the community of God, right? Because we have been freed now. We, like Peter, are running into the community of God, as Peter did. I said, Peter went looking for them. I said, and this is what happens to some of us. The word says that Peter knocked on the door. He was like, yo, it's Peter. They're like, no, that's not Peter. He's locked up. No, for real, it's Peter. Let me in. And so what happens is some of us, we, we get freed and we go knocking and people are like, nah, you couldn't have got out of that addiction. 
Nah, you, you couldn't have got out of that depression. Amen. Nah, you, you couldn't have got out of those things. That's not you fill in the blank, right? You fill in the name. That's not you. It can't be. But he says, no, nah, it's me. Because Peter received a miraculous deliverance and freedom. And you too, if you will receive the grace of God, you too can receive that level of miraculous freedom. I told you Peter was sleeping between two guards, chained up behind the gate. Somebody, yeah, it was a miracle. And if God can do that, what can he do with your problems? And don't you want to go celebrate that? Don't you want to go into God's community and go out into the world and share? Listen, this is how simple the gospel is. He saved me. That's a full stop. That's it. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to go to Bible school. God saved me, period. You don't know what he took me through. He saved a wretch like me, and he can save you too. Amen. That's the gospel. And so we take that now into our community of saints so that we can encourage each other in our journey and so that we can share people about the goodness of God. So let's talk about this community of grace. See, the community of grace starts with and ends with God. Okay? Yeah, there you go. The first image there... It's a very common symbol of Trinity. The Trinity, our triunal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is the first community that ever existed. Before time, space, and matter, before all of creation, our triunal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, was in united, perfect harmony and community together. And here's what they did. In the act of creation... They invited us to join in that community. The Bible says that we were made, you and me, all of us, all of mankind, were made in the likeness and the image of God. We were made to worship God for all of eternity. And it says that we, this is inferred, not directly said, but we were invited. Matter of fact, the word says that God even walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. You're not walking with someone unless you're in intimate community and relationship with them, period. And so that was the first community, and we are invited. Now, here's what happened. Sin entered the picture, severed the relationship, the community that we had with God, but he loved you so much the story didn't end there. So God invited then the church. Now, I want to be clear about what I'm saying when I say the church. I am not specifically saying just the New Testament church. No, no, beloved. I'm talking about the church started with Abraham. I'm talking about we were invited when God chose his people in Israel to join him to be the instrument and the vessel of God's message into the world. And that never has never stopped. Okay. I don't believe in that replacement theology stuff. Israel is still the church. Amen? The God's people is still the church. So what I'm saying is that when God invited the church, beginning with Abraham and then with Jesus, through Jesus, there was this invitation to continue in the community with him. But it doesn't stop. Because see, as I said, we get invited into this amazing community. This community of love and, and, and redemption, 
this community of restoration and renewal, forgiveness and grace, we get invited into this, but it is not for you to keep it to yourself. It is too good. Has anyone ever kept a really good thing to themselves? I haven't. <laughs> Listen, I'm telling you, I, I got loose lips. As soon as I hear something good and I experience it, I just want to tell everybody about it, okay? I'm just telling you the truth. I have never kept something really, really good to myself. I want to share it. I want to share it with my family, my friends, those who I care about, and even those that I don't know. I, I just want to share it with you. And see, this is what happens, right? We get, there's this, the, the first community in, in, the, in, in the triunal God, we get invited in, but it shouldn't just stop because if we get invited in and that's it, then the community never grows. So we are called to then extend the grace. And how do we extend the grace? We extend the community of grace by sharing the gospel. Remember I said to you earlier, what's the gospel? He saved me. I don't know why we make it more complicated than that. He saved me. I used to be this, and now I'm this. You don't need to explain the rest of it. There's someone else more equipped that can explain it, right? That's why we're a body. You don't need to have all the answers, but you can lead them to someone who does. God saved me, right? That he died on the cross for me. As the word said, that while, he was still, while we were still nailing him to the cross, while we were his enemies, okay? You hear that? While we were his enemies, he went to the cross, okay? For God so loved the world, the broken, fallen world, that he gave his son Jesus for us, the gospel. So we extend the community of grace to others through the sharing of the gospel. It wasn't optional. I'm going to say it again. Sharing the gospel, if you are a true follower, disciple, and believer of Jesus, is not optional. Okay? We received a command from the Lord God Almighty. I didn't say a nice to do if you can get to it. We received a command from the Lord God Almighty to do what? Proclaim the gospel throughout the entire world. And that's how we extend the community of grace. But as we proclaim the gospel, there must be, and begin, as I said, in our community, in our relationship with God, and our community of grace and relationship with the others, it should direct, direct and guide how we live. And so we must practice grace in community. And you know what, guys? I, this isn't being critical of the church. It's true. We fail to extend and live out that life, that life of grace more within the church than out the church. I've seen church people extend more grace to those in the world than those within the church. You want to get hurt, go to church. You want to get hurt, go to church. I, 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 could, I could probably, probably 90% of you have had church hurt in the past. You want to get hurt, go to church. And we fail to extend and live out this grace we fail to live out love and compassion and mercy and humility and all of those things that Jesus demonstrated himself in his life. We fail to live it out. But if we're truly going to embrace the, the community of God's grace, we must do it through service. You know the one thing the Bible says that we should outdo each other in? 
honoring each other. The Bible says that we should outdo each other in honoring one another. And how do we outdo each other in honor? By serving each other. And Acts, it says that the church grew. Why did the church grow? Because no one thought of themselves. That's a paraphrase. The Bible says in Acts that the church grew exponentially. Why? Because no one was thinking of themselves. I'm always thinking of you and I'm thinking of myself last. Grace. God was thinking of himself last when he went to the cross. Okay? When Jesus said in in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he said, Lord, take this cup from me. This is going to hurt. But let not my will be done. But let your will be done. This is how we live out the grace of God in our community is to pause for a moment and think, how can I honor this person today? How can I serve them? Even when the person is being as cuddly as a cactus, how can I serve them, Lord? What's going on in their heart, Father? What are they experiencing right now that's causing them to lash out and hurt me? But Lord, they're not hurting me. I mean, it hurts, but they're hurting. How can I honor them? How can I serve them? This is how we live out this community of grace through service, right? And so we share the gospel, we love and serve and honor one another, and even those who are lost in the world. I'm going to share a quick story with you. Um, Rose's ex-husband, Johnny. Some of you have been around this long enough that you know. My relationship with Johnny has been contentious at best for the last 25 years, almost 26 years, okay? And so the last time I spoke to Johnny before this story that I'm about to share with you was at least a few years ago. And that conversation wasn't so pleasant. And so maybe in early spring, late fall, or late, late winter this year, a Friday night, I just got this heavy just feeling in my spirit. And I couldn't shake, and I was, I was crying out for Johnny. I couldn't, I don't know why I hadn't spoken to him in a few years. But my heart was crying out for him, and I couldn't shake it. I was, I was trying to dismiss it, and I was trying to ignore it. And I was like, I, Lord, why are you putting this guy on my heart? I don't even like this guy. It was a heart condition, right? Okay. I don't even like this guy. Couldn't shake it. Saturday, it was getting stronger and stronger. Sunday, we, we, we went to church, and... I mean, guys, I'm not telling you, I was crying for him. So I said to my daughter, we went to to dinner at my mother-in-law's house, and we're sitting at dinner. And I said, right in the middle of dinner, and I said, I got to go. So my daughter says, Daddy, where are you you going? I said, baby, I need your dad's address. I I need Johnny's address. I got to go see him. I didn't know what I was walking into or where I was going. I didn't know where he lived. I didn't know anything. I just said, Lord, this this really hurts. I got to go see him. Okay, there's a point to this story. And so I pack up. I said, girls, you got to take mom home. I got to go. So I drive this 40 minutes. We were in Wilmington, so I guess maybe 35 minutes to Bear. He lives in Bear. And I'm praying. I'm, I'm a nervous wreck. I don't know what I'm walking into. I'm, I'm thinking we might fight. Can I be honest with you? I'm thinking I'm going to get there and we're going to throw down. And I was ready. 
I kind of have my guard up like I was really holy and sanctified and spiritual on one side, but I, I was ready to throw down on the other side. I'm just being honest. And so I get there and knock on the door. Johnny answers. And I'll never forget this. He opens the door and he puts his head down. And he starts crying. And so I walk in. Remember, I said, we have to honor one another. We have to serve one another. And so I said, Johnny, I am just here to tell you that God loves you and wants a relationship with you. That Jesus loves you. And I love you too. And we embraced and cried in each other's arms for like 10 minutes. And I don't, I'm not sharing that story with you guys to my glory. Because God led me to that door that day. And since... I am pleased to report that Johnny has given his life to Jesus. Amen. And it's not because of anything that I did, but, but God wanted to use me. And God wants to use you too. If you are willing to honor those who you think are not worthy of honor. If you are willing to step out and love those that you think are unworthy of love. Because you too were unworthy of his love. So how dare you withhold it from someone else? And so now, listen, Johnny and I, we have a great time together. And Johnny is like, I joke around. I say, I'm going to go see my baby daddy. But Johnny's become like this really good friend of mine. We just went to the gym Friday. We hung out for 4th of July with the family. We were in the pool having a great time. Guys, listen, God can restore and heal any broken thing. Amen? Amen. And so when you enter in God's community of grace, it has to transform you. God's community of grace cannot be entered into, and you remain the same. And I'm sorry, guys, I'm, if I'm taking too long, forgive me. I just got to vet this message out for you. But if you enter into God's community of grace, you cannot be the same. You cannot remain the same. If you are fully receiving and embracing, if you are connecting with it, you just can't be the same. So I want to close this out. Why do we need it? And I've kind of alluded to a few of these ideas of why we need God's community of grace. God's community of grace will nurture your relationship with God. Because see, if you're in relationship with God first, and then relationship with others you have to love God and love his people. If you are a lover of God but not a lover of his people, you're missing the point, okay? You are absolutely missing the point if you are a lover of God and not a lover of his people because he is a God of a people. Amen? Amen. And so it helps you to cultivate and nurture this relationship with God. Why? Because as I am dealing with God and he's dealing with me, God is going to use people to help work out the stuff in me, like Johnny did for me. So our, the, the community of God's grace help us to nurture our relationship with God. But in that process, it helps to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. It helps to cultivate. Listen, you cannot... Be grafted in, which the Bible says, anybody who's not ethnically Jewish in this room, you are a wild olive branch. Amen? Okay? You have been grafted in to the olive tree by the grace of God. And so if you're grafted in and you're not bearing fruit, you get pruned. 
Okay? You have to bear fruit. Okay? A healthy branch does not not bear fruit. It, it bears fruit. Okay? Now, take it from someone who has an orchard. I'm trimming those things down. Okay? If my trees are not bearing fruit, they're getting pruned. And what, is, what happens to the prunings? Okay? So you have to begin to cultivate and bear fruit. And that's what the community of God develops. Develops your relationship with him. Develops your relationship with people in his community. And it causes you to bear fruit. It's not all at once. None of my fruit trees ever bared a ton of fruit at first. Actually, some of the fruit are bad at first. <laughs> okay? But the more you grow, the more you're pruned, the fruit becomes bigger and sweeter and delicious. Fruit that people around you can feast on. And this is what the community of grace does. But in, in, in that, you can't be in God's community and God's grace and also be a lone wolf. In other words, if you're one of those that doesn't like accountability, you'll never do well as a Christian. Because being a Christian means accountability first to the Lord and then to his people. And so guidance and transformation is a natural part of being in and benefit of being in God's community. And so I want to wrap up this message today. And in just a moment, um, I'm going to invite um, Dino to come up and he's going to administer communion. And the worship team can feel free to come up whenever they're ready at this point. When we started today, we said that the point of all this, that in our discussion, we were looking to understand God's grace. We were looking to find the connection understand his grace, understand why we need it, and understand that the community of God's grace lived out with God and lived out with his people transforms us. It transforms us in, into who we should and God has intended for us to be. It helps us to make us better. It helps us to bless the people around us. It helps us to bless our community matures us. Jesus says, if you are my disciple, okay, if you are my disciple, and then he describes what it means to be his disciple. But all of that requires us to become mature. Every one of us, and some of us, maybe you're still here, Every one of us go through a journey of transformation like a child does to an adult, okay? And every one of us are born in the Word, are born anew. The Bible says that when we receive the salvation of Jesus Christ, what happens? We are born again, that we are renewed. The Bible says that the old man is gone and that there is a new creature of God that exists. And so when we're born again and we start out as these babies in Christ, babies do as babies do. Babies are messy. But in our relationship with our parents, what happens, right? Our parents nurture us. They care for us. And we're, we're a little less messy as we get older. Well, some of us. And so we grow and we develop and we mature. 
And eventually we become adults and eventually become spiritual, well, parents. And in our case, spiritual parents. So here's my, here's my encouragement to you today. I want to encourage every single one of you that if you have not fully embraced God's grace, you're going to have an opportunity to do that today. If you have recognized it but not yet fully embraced it, you're going to have an opportunity to do that today. We're going to, we're going to participate in this great sacrament of communion that Brother Dino is going to deliver for us today. And you have an opportunity to feast at the banquet table as a child of God. And if maybe you're not there yet, but maybe you need to receive him for the first time, right after communion, there's going to be an opportunity where Pastor Jeff is going to lead a team here that is going to be here to pray for you. And if you're ready to give your life to Jesus, there's an opportunity to do that for you today. Do not leave out of here experiencing the community of God and not willing, being willing to take the risk of being changed forever by receiving him. So I want to encourage you today, experience God's grace with God, with his people. Let that grace validate who you are. Most of you are struggling with who you are. And if I asked you that question, who are you? Most of you could not answer that question. And it is the most fundamental question anyone can ever ask and answer. Who am I? But a community of grace experienced with God and his people will validate who you are. And it will help you mature as a believer.